0: Well, good. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. I'd like to welcome those who are watching online. I believe my uh, my mom actually might be watching online. My number one fan, you know. <laughs> Hi, mom. Um, it's good. It's good to see everybody. I know there's a few people out tonight. I know there's a couple people that uh, just had some just cold symptoms, and they're like, oh, we better just stay home just in case. And and we appreciate that. Um, I know there's a couple other people that. Uh, are just not are under the weather, and so we want to kind of remember them in our prayers. And um, but I'm looking forward to this study tonight. As always, um, we're kind of plowing through the book of Ruth, which has just been such a really wonderful uh, teaching and, and chapter. And I'm excited about tonight's uh, about the chapter itself. Is that there's a lot of tension built in this chapter? There's a lot of change that happens and occurs. And so I'm, I'm just kind of excited about teaching this tonight. So again, I want to welcome all of you. Um, uh, as I did last week, I'd love to, if anybody has um, any prayer requests, I'd like to lift those up tonight. Uh, is there anybody that has anything pressing uh, that they'd like to, uh, that we can cover in prayer? Anyone? Yes. teach Bible studies at first church. Yes. just been all Oh, goodness. Do we want to have a name or not? Or just Carol. Okay, we're gonna pray for Carol that has just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. There's a lot gonna say denial. that's the place you're at so Carol, we are praying for her absolutely and her husband. yeah. yeah, anybody else? Well, we want to keep uh, Pastor Greg and Renee in our prayers they're they're on 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 vacation well vacation they're well, vacation for Reedy. Um, Pastor Greg is—they're is, visiting their grandchildren and son, or their daughter, and grand all the—I don't know how many grandchildren do they have up there, like twenty-five? Okay, twenty-five. It wears Pastor Greg out, but it's—it's it's a wonderful thing. I can't wait for the day that I—that I, that I uh, get to be a grandfather. But I know that it's exhausting at times, and so—but uh, they're taking a little bit of a break. They're up there in, in just outside of Chicago, I think and uh, just pray for safe travels and a productive and enjoyable time. And I, I'm half-teasing. He loves his grandchildren. We all know that. Uh, so let's pray they have a nice time up there. So anything else, any other prayer requests? Yes, Jenny. His family, they're living tomorrow. One and his friendship oh. to to a church choir. So oh. It, don't ask me them, In England. So, so your brother and his family are going to England. One of us, okay. So for traveling safety and, yeah. Wonderful, that, yes. Nice. Sounds fun. Well, good, that's great. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, lift up these requests of the Lord and and, uh, and open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. Lord, thank you for each and every one of us uh, that are here tonight, to um, that we've kind of taken and put a pause in our day to stop what we were doing and get dressed and come here to focus and dig into your Word, Lord. There's nothing more rewarding, Father, than, than studying... The word of God, that Your word, Lord, that You've given us for everything we need, Lord. We pray that tonight's study uh, will be illuminated by the Holy Spirit, Father. That that uh, that we hear what only You want us to hear, Father, as we go through this narrative and beautiful text, Father. We also lift up uh, Greg and Renee as they travel, Lord, give them traveling mercies and an, an enjoyable time with uh, their daughter and son-in-law and beautiful grandchildren. Lord, we also pray for um, Carol, uh, who uh, used to teach a, a Bible study class with Maureen. Father, we pray that as they navigate this new territory with the diagnosis of, of Alzheimer's, Lord, that her, she, both she and her husband um, will lean heavily on you for this, Lord. Uh, it's, I know it's a trying time, and Lord, we just lift her up to you, Father God. Lord, we pray for Jenny uh, Dent's um, brother and, uh, and some of their family as they travel to England. Uh, to have a bit of a vacation and, and uh, some, some camp time. Um, Lord, I pray that it's useful to, to them. Father, you keep them safe as they travel. Uh, it's always an unknown as you leave the country and travel to another area. Lord, I pray for protection over them and, and a time of, uh, of rest and, and enjoyment. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight, there's a couple of things I want to cover. I always like to talk to people afterwards. And I get a few questions and a few comments, and those are things that I love to hear. And so I just want to address a couple of those things in regards to last week. And I like to maybe even catch people up with, with what occurred last week, because I know some of you that I see here tonight might not have been here last week. You may have seen it online, but I don't know that for sure. So we're gonna kind of recap a little bit of chapter two. Um, but I did have one thing we talked about last week, and that was the character qualities of both Boaz and Ruth and Naomi actually, there was three major players in this. And one of the character qualities, and I'll ask you a question, but of, of Boaz, and I want us to know if anybody can, can guess this, is what one of his character qualities, what, the way he was before he met Ruth. Does anybody know the answer to that? He was ruthless. <laughs> My wife came up with that one. <laughs> I really kind of had you going. I'm all serious face. Isn't that great? That's my that's the wit of my wife, ruthless. Oh, that was beautiful. Had to slide that in. Okay, from here on out, I'll be serious. Um, that was yeah, that was really good. <laughs> okay, so one thing um, I wanted to clarify. If you look back, so go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will, to chapter two. We're gonna going to touch on a couple things in chapter two. And we had a question from Peggy and she said, if you look at chapter 2 and verse, verse 20, this is that beautiful turning point where Naomi, uh, after basically her, her, her everything went downhill and she lost everything and she changed her name to, 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 to mean bitterness. And then she said, and in verse 20 in chapter 2, she says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Peggy asked, "Well, what does that mean? The living or the dead?" And what that's referring to, the kindness of the situation, even of the dead that died. The, the two the two sons and the husband. That was the that's the reference to the dead in that in that aspect. The living obviously is Naomi herself and Ruth and whatever may come. Obviously Boaz has entered the picture, and so that kind of is, is it kind of explains that a little bit, just in case you were. Uh, just curious about that. Another thing that I thought was interesting is, is we talked about the gleaners, and the gleaners um, were people that would go through the fields, the, the, the servants and the poor, but, but uh, Gordon pointed out something interesting I'd forgotten about, and that is under the Mosaic Law, it wasn't just right behind where they were, they were chopping down the barley and things. They were, the, the, the owners of the fields were told to carefully leave the edges, the, the, the very outside edges, that was almost like a, it wasn't a tithe, but in a way it was something under Mosaic law that they were supposed to leave, the very outside edges. And so thank you, Gord, for pointing that out. It was very interesting. And so that's another place that Ruth would have been able to work, and was not just right behind where they were going, but also the edges that was where the poor could go. And so I thought that was a neat point of clarity there. Um, now, another one more thing I'd like to just kind of point out is that in, we talked about Ruth, and you know, this whole, this whole book is, is really about the Redeemer and about the unredeemed, and that, it's really a story. It, it's a, what I said last week is it's a type, and the anti-type would be Christ and that, that is found in, in the New Testament, Christ and redeeming the lost. And then and the, the type of it though is this particular story we're, we're reading, and Ruth being the, really the unredeemable. She was a Moabite, under, and the Moabites were under a curse uh, from, the, from God, and, and we don't need to go back as to why, but trust me, it was, it was you know, well, it was, there was a reason for it, and so uh, there was a passage that I wanted to read, and you don't need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy, just to, just to kind of review, um, it said, No Ammonite, this is in 23, you don't need to turn, but I'll just read, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord, Forever, And so what we find is an interesting turning in a way because that seems pretty solid. That's what God said. And then as he cha- as, as history went on, obviously that she is going to be redeemed. In fact, we know that David will come from her lineage because of this, this, this marriage that's gonna be occurring. Um, but one thing I found was interesting, uh, I think Brent, we talked about this a little bit at the end there, but if you turn to Isaiah, I'd like you to go ahead and turn to Isaiah. Hold your place in Ruth. Isaiah chapter 56. And I just found this to be a really striking passage to show the mercy of God to those who were originally cut off. So Isaiah 56. And we're gonna look at we're gonna start basically in verse 3. And this is just this is, this is just going back to just the 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 mercy of God and 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 his heart. So, Isaiah 56, verse 3, "'Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord.'" See, that's exactly what Ruth did. Remember, she said, "'Your, your God will be my God.'" That was really her point of conversion right there. She she turned from her gods of the Moabites and, and said, "'I want to go and follow your God.'" So, "'Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord,' could be Ruth, uh, "'the Lord will surely separate me. Excuse me let, me, let me start that again. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep the my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. In verse six, it says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, again, there's the foreigners. That's Moabites, um, to minister him, to love the name of the Lord, and to, and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath, and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt, op- their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted, on my altar for my house." shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to Him besides those already gathered." So just, to, just for a point of clarity, this was Isaiah as they as the kind of progressed through and things turn. So clearly foreigners at some point, there was obviously the nation of Israel, those were God's people, but those who turned and called the God of Israel their God, were counted among his people. And I thought that was just a really neat uh, clarification. I meant to read that last week, but I wanted to get to that. So basically, chapter 2 sums up, uh, if we look at verse 22 and back to Ruth uh, in chapter 2, it says, And Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter in law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, uh, with, with his young women, lest and another field would be assaulted. In other words, stay stay in Boaz's field, so you're protected. So verse twenty three says, "So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother in law." So this is kind of where the, the this chapter kind of picks up steam a little bit, and. Again, this chapter, so now the the harvesting is over. All the hard work is done. It was probably from April, I think, mid-April to probably into the summer. And It took a long time, and it was quite a bit, and I I even said last week how these fields were massive, and and so Boaz's, you know, barley fields could have been several football fields were, so it's a lot of work um, and a lot of toil because you just get this tiny little Grain out of all of these stalks and all this stuff, so it's it's quite a process, and it's stage after stage after stage. So, the the whole harvesting period is done. Everything is brought up into a, a big uh, uh, house like a gleaning. Uh, uh, what is it, What do they call it? A uh, yeah, threshing floor. That's the name of it. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, so let's kind of pick it up in verse three, just to give you context of what's what's actually occurs. So it's probably midsummer at this point. So, uh, we'll pick them. Chapter 3, excuse me, verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, again, this, that's such a beautiful, it's, This just my daughter is simply, she's younger and she's taken her in. This is her mother-in-law, but she, it's like a daughter to her. Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with, whom, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So let's just kind of pause right there. There's several things to notice about this. Naomi, I don't want to say this is twofold, but in a way it is. Naomi truly and genuinely loves Ruth and she's wanting to take, have Ruth being, to have, to have her being taken care of. And so, um, but I can't help but think in the back of her mind, she's going, you know, if you marry, Boaz, then I'll be taken care of as well. And so, it's exacts Jewish mother. <laughs> true. I mean, so I mean, who can counter wrong for that? But th- but again, there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of like, hey, you know, why don't you go do this? And she sees way ahead. She's very wise. But there's still a real true genuineness to this. She loved Ruth and wanted the best for Ruth. So there, m- it m- might be that she did have something in mind, like, hey, go get yourself married so we can be taken care of. We can get the land back that we had to forfeit because we moved. And so there's a lot to it, this whole redemption thing. And so, but just notice in that passage, though, how it says, my daughter, and that's just such a a loving statement there. Should I not seek rest for you that it may may be well with you? That's a genuine statement. And so I just think that's a beautiful, just to realize the heart of Naomi in, in, in that point there. So now we get to the, See, where he is winnowing barley. What in the world does that mean, winnowing? So let's talk about that. Winnowing barley is when they've actually taken and they've cut down the, the sheaves of barley, the, the, the stalks, the stems, right? And then the threshing, threshing floor is where they, they, beat the, they beat it down and they get all the stuff out of it. Um, and then once, they, once they, they... So they've already gone through that process after the harvest is over. So the winnowing part is where they take... And there was an area that was that was set up. It was a big open, probably a maybe. I don't want to say it, it's not concrete, but a big stone floor. This massive area, and there were everybody was there that had the different fields. So it was a, it was a, almost a cooperative in a way. So they were all doing this thing called winnowing. What is that? Well, the the trade winds. Now we have a, we have a southeast typical trade. Our common winds are from the southeast or the east, and that, that's our. Prevailing winds, they call them. So typically in Florida, we're always going to have mostly east winds, unless it's a northerly front, or oftentimes there's a right before a front that turns west and then swings around. But our prevailing winds are from the east. Well, their prevailing winds were from the west to the east, from the Mediterranean. So what they would do, and the reason I'm saying this is they would position this large uh, uh, floor, threshing floor thing, and they would all be in their certain sections and they would have all their barley. Uh, just, you know, after it's come out of the, the, the actual stems or husks, right, and they would winnow it. And what that is, is it's simply taking, and sometimes they use big scoop things, and they would throw it up in the air. Usually that would start probably late afternoon when the winds were at the peak, and then, and then it would blow away all the chaff, and the barley would fall. And that's what winnowing is, just so you have an understanding of what they were doing. Because this is context, though. So you need another time frame of this whole story actually takes place in a certain day. And so picture them mid-afternoon, as it was when this is occurring, and they you know, and there's different sections. People, another guy is down there, then the other guy with the other field, and they're all having their workers take this barley and throw it up and winnowing it, and it blows away the, the husks from the prevailing winds, and then you have all the barley there. So that's just to give you an example of of what, what that actually is. So she's saying, see, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And then she said, I love this part, it's kind of funny, like the typical Jewish mother, wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. In other words, get cleaned up, put some perfume on, do something, get, look good, look well. And there's, she's, she's got, a, she's got a, an intention here. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. In other words, just kind of blend in. Don't make a show of yourself. And what we know of Ruth is that she wouldn't do that anyway. But she was just, she was saying, go down there, prepare yourself, be there for this and, and you'll see why when this occurs. So, but when he lies down, this is again, Naomi telling her this, here's the plan basically. But when he lies down, notice where he's, he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do." Now, that, now, if you read that in this context of America and this generation, it's like, what? What are you talking about? This is kind of weird, you know? lift up the blanket by his feet and what are you, what are you doing now? Like, so, but this is a, a near, not a Far East, this is a Near East custom, and it was normal. This is a thing that they would do. And there, it's part of the Leverite marriage, and this is one of the traditions that they do. Now I'll kind of go into it a little bit. Now, <laughs> I mean, laughing, Gordon, this doesn't happen to most average men, but uh, so what happens is, it's part of the Leverite marriage because Boaz was older than Ruth by a, a, a considerable—not wasn't considerable, but it was you know it was like George Clooney and you know a supermodel that's in their twenties, you know, so to speak. So. Um, it was not proper for Boaz to approach Ruth. Just to give you some understanding, so, right? So, so it was really, according to the, the Leverite marriage, which is something that's found in, I think it's Judges, um, uh, that it would be the woman, the young lady who would pursue and, and, and in this, and this beautiful, um, wholesome way. And this is just how it happened. And so just to give you understanding of what that was, because on the outset when I read I'm like, what? What are they talking about? But it's, this is a very modest way of saying, I'm interested. Exactly. That's right. In fact, you don't need to turn there. But in Deuteronomy, just to talk about uh, laws concerning, concerning, this is kind of funny actually. Yeah, foot rub. Yeah. No. No, no foot rub. No, we'll get to You're getting ahead of yourself. Hold on. No. <laughs> but listen. So, just to talk about the levirate marriage, which is really what this whole thing was. Ruth and Boaz had a levirate marriage, and this is what it is. If brothers dwell together, this is from Deuteronomy. There's so many strange rules in here, but if brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take his take her as his wife. And perform the duty of husband's brother to her, of of the husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So there's there's a lot more to the story of why Ruth is wanting to get, is going to be married, because it's going to restore their land, and it's also going to restore and carry on the name. And as we know from this, I know pretty much all of you probably know the story of Ruth and what happens at the end and who, who Ruth's great-grandson actually is, but I'm not going to give that away yet. So, And then it says here um, that his name might not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take it, this is interesting, if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, this is just kind of, I don't know what, just struck me funny today, and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a, husband, of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his of this city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull off his sandal off of his foot and spit in his face. I'm I'm reading right out of here, so this is Deuteronomy. And hold on, (laughs) it's 25, Uh, so chapter 25. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. It was apparently a big deal, obviously, this Leverite marriage thing. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. That's kind of weird. But the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. So it's part of the traditional thing. There's a sandal exchange, and, but it was just, I don't know. I, I kind of got off track there, but, but just wanted to explain what a Leverite marriage is. Obviously, Ruth lost her husband. The Redeemer steps in, which is gonna be Boaz. And so Boaz cannot make an advancement. It's Ruth that has to do it because of the age difference. And so some of it may make sense as we go on. There's repercussions behind this. It's, it is a love story. In a way, kind of like a, a neat movie, but at the same time, there's implications to this. Property will be regained, the bloodline will continue, and the son that they that they have is mm-hmm. is that's huge. And at the end of the story, and so just to give you an under, I don't know how we even got there, but um, yeah, the, the feet and lie down thing. Okay, and he will tell you. Let's let's kind of pick it back up in verse five. Here's Naomi with her wonderful. Uh, honoring of, uh, excuse me, Ruth, with her wonderful honoring of Naomi, says, and she replied, this is Ruth, all that you say I will do. And she's just such a a tender, uh, sweet uh, daughter-in-law that just is really more like a daughter to Naomi. So, here's where the story begins. Okay, so, so, here we go. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry. Now I want to pause right there. Um, we don't want to read too much into that. It's not that he w- you see the word drunk or drink and then mer- he was just content. His heart was full. It was a good harvest after several years of famine. And so he was, it was just, it was, a, he was feeling great and he was happy. And, and it's not like he was over drunk or anything. Okay. just want to make sure I made that clear, 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 clear to you all. Um, Okay, verse 7, and when he, had, he drained he, his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Now, why do you think he did that? He's guarding it. He's guarding it, basically. They would, they would, uh, that's a lot of grain. There was a lot of grain there, and it was valuable. And so, what they would traditionally do is they would go and, and, and sleep there that night. Because remember, they started in the afternoon when the winds would come up, and then they would do all the winnowing with the winds. All the, the, all the husk would blow away. And so they had this big pile of the good stuff. And so that was into the night, right? So this kind of gives you just the time frame. So, that's, so he decided that's where they slept just kind of to guard it in a way. So it says, then she came softly, in other words, quietly, and uncovered his feet, just as Naomi had said. And at midnight, the man was startled. Now this is, now it's midnight. It's way dark. She's slipped in and Got underneath there and somehow he noticed her. Maybe now, maybe that's why Naomi said, put some, anoint yourself, put some perfume on, because he's not gonna see you. So smell good, okay? Because she can't see, it's dark out, right? All right, so at midnight, Boaz was startled. He turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. This is getting good. Wow. All right. That's where it should be. I'm not going to repeat that for the live audience, Gordon. (laughs) Um, He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. That's just beautiful. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now that spread your wings. If you look back up at uh, chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord repay you. This is Boaz speaking, chapter two, verse twelve. The Lord repay you. He's speaking to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. There's a lot of beautiful double meanings right there. Uh, Ruth clearly was uh, given to the God of Israel. Boaz knew in chapter two there what what he had done and was basically saying a blessing or a prayer over her at that point and we see the same, the same wording there even though as well in this context it also did mean when it said spread your wings that means give me some of your blanket let me get underneath your blanket a little bit just but but not right next to him and not not weirdly just at his feet and it was a very modest it was a very modest approach and so, but I think there's a beautiful double meaning there about being under the wings of the Lord. I talked last week about the Psalms, and how it just it's replete with David talking about being under the shadow of the Almighty and being under His wings. It's of a bird, a mother bird, just just, uh, or even a father bird, just just nesting and getting his young underneath the wing and protecting. And that's just what the best place to be as a believer. Um, so, this is, there's what happens there. It's just a beautiful thing. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And that's kind of the, boy, that, that's powerful, the redeemer. So, right then and there is the connection. That's where the, the tension is built right there. So basically, she's saying, marry me, just for those of you who are a little not keeping up. <laughs> marry me. And He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Again, that's just a, uh, he's not saying you're my daughter. He's just simply saying, it's, a, it's a, uh, a term of endearment, you know, exactly. So, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. What would the first be? The loyalty to Naomi. He knew of that, and the whole, the whole town basically knew of it. So, he said, you've made this last kindness, this this this, this, which, this gesture you've just done, greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You know, that really shows where Naomi's priorities were, oh, excuse me, Ruth's priorities were. Ruth was young. I'm sure there were a lot of guys that were working the fields and people in Bethlehem, and she, she, she certainly could have. Uh, gone for someone else, but her priorities were to continue the name of the Lord in, in, in this particular situation. Um, it was it was a uh, a conscientious choice to follow the Lord in everything she did. If you look back, you don't have to turn, but when it, she said, for where you go, I will go, she's talking to Naomi, her mother-in-law, where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people shall be my people and, my God, and your God, my God, will you die, I will die, and there I will be buried." Um, so, Naomi's, or Ruth's priorities were in line with God's priorities, and Ruth, Ruth's delights were God's delights. And we, we see that, it talks in, in Psalm 37, it says, "'Delight yourself in the Lord,' and He will…" What is that? I do need to get to that. The desires of your heart, right? I I'm, I'm just wonder. It's just such a beautiful passage, but but that doesn't mean that if you delight yourself in the Lord, He's going to give you a, the Maserati and and all those things, you know. But it means that if you desol- delight yourself in the Lord, and follow His ways, He will give you the desires of your heart that align with His desires, and those and that's really important to understand. Uh, that's that's sometimes that passage is taken a bit out of context. But the desires of your heart should be in line with, what, with, what, with God's plan, and that's what we always want. And so, I just think that was just a really a neat uh, affirm, or, uh, affirmation from Boaz when he said that. He said, I don't have to repeat that again, the, uh, you have, you, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. It's just a beautiful statement there. And he says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you. Basically, he's saying, "Sure, I will. Yes, I will do for you all that you ask." For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Does anybody have uh, "virtuous" there in their in their text? "Virtuous." What version of the Bible do you have? It might be, is it King James Version that you have? Yeah, so the, the, the true word is virtuous. Um, now, it also does say, uh, obviously, worthy. But virtuous, I'd just like to read something very interesting to you, that in a word study, I think the ESV says worthy, but it really means virtuous. And this is really interesting. I'm just going to kind of read this to you. It's a little thing, I, just a little excerpt I found in a study by, uh, by John MacArthur. And, he said, and just listen to this, the virtuous wife of Proverbs 31.10 is personified by virtuous Ruth, of whom the same Hebrew word is used. With amazing parallel, they share at least eight character traits. One wonders, in concert with Jewish tradition, if King Lemuel, who is mentioned in, in Proverbs 31... If King Leal's mother might not have been Bathsheba, who orally passed the family heritage of Ruth's spotless reputation," again, this is kind of conjecture, but it kind of makes sense, Um, "...Ruth's spotless reputation along to David's son Solomon. Lemuel, which means devoted to God, could have been a family name for Solomon, who then could have penned Proverbs 31. 10 through 31 with Ruth in mind. I thought that what a neat connection that is. Talk about worthy and virtuous. This Ruth of the Bible could have been the one that was being spoken of in Proverbs. Now, you don't have to write these down, but I just wanna give you some out, just really interesting um, character qualities of Ruth. And then we it kind of goes back and forth between Ruth and Proverbs. So she was devoted to her family. And don't don't write this down, but if you want to see me after, I'll give you all these. She was devoted to her family. Ruth 1, 15 through 18, and Proverbs 31, 10 through 12. Uh, She was delighting in her work. Ruth 2, 2, and Proverbs 31, 13. She was diligent in her labor. Ruth 2, 7, 17, and 23. And then Proverbs 31, 14 through 18, 19 through 21, 24 and 27. Dedicated to godly speech. Ruth 2, 10. And 13, Proverbs 13, 26, dependent on God, Ruth two twelve, and Proverbs 31, 25b, and 30, dressed with care, Ruth 3, 3, Proverbs 31, 22, and 25a, discreet with men, Ruth 3, 6, 6 through 13, Proverbs 31, 11, 12, 23, and then delivering blessings, Ruth 4, 14, 15, and then Proverbs 31, 28, 29, 31. What a bunch of neat parallels that is to think that perhaps it's not not fact, we don't know for sure, but it could be that Ruth was the one that was being spoken of in Proverbs 31. And that just shows you Ruth's character even more strongly than we already knew. We talked about her character last week. I thought that was beautiful. So, let's pick it back up uh, in verse 12. In verse 12 it says, And now it is true this is the part that made me nervous, that I'm a redeemer, yet, 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 Uh uh-oh, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. What does that mean? There's someone else. There's someone else in the picture. There's someone that actually is a little closer of a relative than Boaz was. And so, that person had the first right of refusal, basically, so to speak, right? So, there's there's the you know, so, this is a really interesting story, and when you look at a story like this, it's a narrative. A narrative is, is simply something written about something that occurred, but the writer of this certainly had some leverage and in, in, in flexibility in, in the way it was written. It's a beautifully written uh, narrative, and there's, there's some tension that's built in this, in this particular chapter, and if you read the whole thing quickly through, sometimes you don't notice. But if you really dig in like we're doing and, and kind of go in verse by verse to gain an understanding of what's happening and then to really feel these tensions as you go through it a little slower. So basically she, she puts herself out there and he said, yes, I will. And then it's like, but. And then the commercial comes on and then you got to wait till the next week to watch the next thing, right? So there's a little bit of a tension here. But here, 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 here um, Boaz says, yet there's a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. In other words, just settle down, go to sleep, uh, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. Wow, that's that's. I don't even know the word for that. Boaz's character is is so honoring of her, and so whatever the Lord has, so be it. If if there's someone else that's you know, I know you. I know you asked me to marry you basically under a right marriage, but if there's someone else, then, then that's fine. That's okay. And that's just, uh, even though we don't know how he was feeling at the time, and, uh, but it's just it's so sacrificial in a way. Um, then, but, no, here's the but. But, if he's not willing, I didn't mean to leave you hanging there, not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Just that gentle, soft, Just go back to sleep, okay? Verse 14, "'So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize one another.'" In other words, that just simply means it's still dark, okay? And he said, this is to maybe some people around him, "'Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor.'" He's just being discreet, courteous, he's a gentleman, he knows that this is not a done deal. There's someone else, and so he's just being a kind, kind man. Chapter Verse 15, and he said to her, to, to Ruth, "'Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out.' So he held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her." That's quite a bit of barley. That's, that was probably 60, 70 pounds of barley. I'm talking just the good stuff, not, nothing with chaff And it. This is all lots of really good stuff. And, then, he came, and then, he, then she went into the city. In other words, she was returning back to Naomi. And when, she, and when she came to her mother-in-law, to Naomi, she said, Naomi said, how'd you fare? How'd you do? You know, like, as, like again, exa- yeah, like, how'd it go? <laughs> and uh, exactly, and then... <laughs> And it's interesting, and I'll just kind of put a pin in this, because it's hard not to, obviously, the, 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 the key actors in this story are Ruth and Boaz. But let's not forget about Naomi, who really, throughout this whole story, uh, it, it was like a, a roller coaster for her. I mean, she had lost, it started out with Naomi losing her, her, her husband and her two sons. It can, really can't get much worse than that. But then Ruth comes alongside of her and is loyal to her. And so if you look at this whole story with Naomi in mind, it's a whole other sub-story going on underneath. You know, when they when on TV screen, when they switch back to the other story, the other two things going on at once. And then she gets to the beautiful time where she does say, the Lord redeems the, uh, the living and the dead. And so she's realizing what may occur with Boaz. And so she's on a mountaintop. And then it continues to climb for her. And she's like, this is great. This, this may all work out beautifully. And so, now she's, you can see her with anticipation, like, okay, go do this. And Ruth returns the next day and, and, and like, well, how'd it go? How's it going? So, she's on these, like, just, just kind of like on the edge, you know? And so, just kind of consider her as we're reading this. So, she said, she said, how did you do? How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. This is Ruth had told her all that Boaz had done saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. That's just a kind, kind act. But in a way, it was kind of like, oh, there might be something like, this is, I better be nice to, to my potential mother-in-law, maybe, I don't know. So, um, so it was a very kind gest- gesture, obviously beyond anything that he was required to do, uh, but it was, just showed his kindness and goodness to her. And it said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, so this is Naomi speaking, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. In other words, don't get too excited. Let's just wait and see, which kind of means, it kind of shows me that perhaps uh, at this point in the story, Ruth's heart was truly for Boaz, you know, because basically Naomi was saying, just calm down, let's wait and see what happens because there was an opportunity for someone else to come in, so let's just wait and see. So, I really wanted to continue all the way through four, but I know, I know, I know but I'm a, I'm a, it's like a cliffhanger, you know? And so, I'm a, I know that you know what happens in the story, but I just wanted to kind of go through slowly. Part of Bible study is, is, you know, I, uh, it's not um, when, when Pastor Greg preaches on Sundays, he's a good preacher. He's a solid preacher. He exhorts and He he, he gives, you know, Bible study is a little bit different in that you're really wanting to dig in a little bit more. You're wanting to get some context, some historical data, some facts, clear up some things that may not be very clear as you read something. And then sometimes there's a very strong theme. Like last week, the strong theme was God's hand of providence is going before us. Like she just happened to show up in Boaz's field and he just happened to return there. No, that was all God's direction. So th- some things are very preachable. In this particular passage here, there's, it's really just more of a transitional passage. So there's not, a, not these big, giant application things. Sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. Typically in preaching, though, when Greg brings, brings the word, it's powerful. And there's usually one main focus. In, but in this, I just want you to understand that as you do a Bible study, you really want to gain several things. When I asked Pastor Greg five years ago, I, I began to teach at the plaza when I taught, and he would say, uh, he said, just first read the passage. Just read it. Flat, just straight. Read, read the whole book in, in a small book like this. And then just read it again. And then just slow down and just read it one more time. And then maybe once more, just so you have an understanding of what's happening. And this is how you do Bible study. So you, you understand the passage, and then you go back in, and you look and go, is there anything I don't understand in this? What doesn't make sense? What are these names and why does it, and who's, who's talking and who's, there's a lot of players in, in these passages, especially in the Old Testament. And once you have an understanding of that and all the confusion is, is, is cleared up, then you can kind of go, well, what's the main theme of this? What's, what's God saying in this? Because it's, I could easily look, in fact, if I just look it right down and then go, well, um, I will not seek rest for you that it may be, uh, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And then just kind of go off on some tangent about rest and, and 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 looking out for people and stuff. But that's not really the way you do a good Bible study. You want to do what's called exegesis, where you're pulling out what the Bible says, what the Lord has said, not eisegesis, which is what I think it says. And so that's just something to understand and be clear about. Um, so as, as we go through, what's that? Yes, exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S, and eisegesis is actually E-I-S, eisegesis, and those are kind of the two um, differences when it comes to expository preaching, which is what Pastor Greg does. He preaches from the Word, and he does it with exegetical preaching uh, masterfully, and we're very blessed. Um, So just to give you an understanding, when when we come through a passage like this, I was really trying to, man, I sat today for several hours. Um, and just sort of like, you, you, I'm not trying to milk a passage, but really like, what, what's what's the main thrust here? What's God saying in this? And sometimes it's just simply a narrative where you're just reading the story because it prepares you for what's next. And we know where the whole picture of this of Ruth is going. This is the kinsman redeemer, and that sounds like a a biblical word, but it's it's just Boaz redeeming, buying basically in a way, Ruth and restoring her. And then that's a beautiful example of what happens with Christ and 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 non-believer people that are going to be saved. And so, um, that's kind of what I was. I don't even know how I got there. Um, Rabbit trails. Sorry. Um, So let's just actually continue here. Sixteen. And when he came to her mother-in-law, daughter. See these six measures of barley, uh, he gave to me, for he said, "You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law." And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, right? We got to the end there. So that kind of concludes the chapter. I think I got there because I was thinking, I'd love to have gone through, plowed through this whole thing, but we want to extend it out a little bit. There's more next week, but there's a couple of things that I did notice. Now, when you do a Bible study, it's not that you can't simply go, I mean, you definitely don't want to put more into it than you think is there, but there are certain truths that can come out in in a passage like this. So one thing that I noticed, it's definitely this passage is a pivotal one. It's filled with tension. You could feel the tension of what happened, what occurred that evening, and and the fact that, well, maybe there's maybe I'm not the redeemer. Maybe there's someone else. Let's see what happens. Um, one thing I did notice that was pretty strong, strongly prominent is Naomi's genuine love for Ruth and concern. It was an actual genuine. It wasn't just like hey, go do this so that I can be restored and have my property back that I lost when my husband died. So there's a genuine nature to that of her kindness. And, and, and the application to that is, how are we? Are you genuine? I mean, when people aren't looking, are you, do you, when you're in, the, in line at Publix or at Walmart, and are, how do you react to people? Um, do, are you truly and genuinely concerned about them? Uh, about what you do, because it's one thing. Like pharisaically, you can say, "Oh, yeah, well, I was over and I ministered to this person the other day, and I went over and did this, and and I'll be praying for you," and then never pray for somebody. So it's, I think, the genuine nature of what we see in Naomi is really something that we should exemplify, that we should really uh, um, take note of in this in this passage. That she was truly concerned, and she loved Naomi, and I think it's or she loved Ruth, and it's interesting that. Um, the point, the point I'm trying to make is that we do need to be genuine in our love for others, for believers and for non-believers. I think it just makes, we need to, it's like a, a check in our soul. Like, do we, really, are we, do we really love them when no one's looking? And what is our soul? Because you can do things on the surface, but the heart is what God sees. And so, that was just one observation in this text. The other one is Boaz and his continued chivalry and godly character. I, I think that the last part of that passage where he said, he said, uh, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. And so Boaz wasn't just being nice because it was a, she was a given, Ruth was a given. He didn't know, he wasn't sure. He knew that someone else was next in line. And so, but he did what he did anyway, and that's a genuine mark of strong character. He was loyal, he was uh, just a, just chivalrous, you know, for lack of a better word. And so, even knowing that there was not, there might not be anything in it for him. And so, I think that's another thing that I was thinking about today. Um, again, it's not the theme of this, but it's, it's something I noticed that, you know, do, do we do things as believers just to get something back in return, or do we do them regardless, whether there's no return? Do we do something for someone and expect accolades or thanks or a card, or do we just do it regardless, you know? And so, I think those are a couple of things that I noticed in these in this particular passage. It is a a transitional passage from 2 to 3. The 4 will close next week. It's exciting what actually happens, and to see just, it just, the whole thing just explodes out and you're like wow it's like fireworks at the end it's amazing it's a neat it's a really neat book and i've enjoyed studying this book and uh pastor greg will return uh in two weeks I'll be, he's allowed me to he'll be back but he, he wants me to finish this which i'm excited about even on my wife's birthday on the 19th yeah so maybe we'll have cupcakes next week i don't know so um but and then he's, then pastor greg is going to be leading us i believe into esther another book it's a wonderful book and so I'm excited about this. So I hope tonight that um, if there's anything that was unclear in this, please see me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about these things. I love digging in deeply. I've got a lot of survey the Old Testament. When I'm teaching I've got survey the Old, and studying, I've got survey the Old Testament. I've got three or four commentaries and all this stuff So that, just so that I can do the hard work and hopefully explain things clearly to you guys. And that's what I love to do. So... Um, and plus the fact that we're just simply in God's Word and in fellowship. So um, let's go ahead and pray and close and, and uh, give God thanks. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather freely, Lord, in this country to study your Word, which is banned in so many countries across the world, Father. There are people right now in communist China that are, that are huddled up underneath bunkers studying Your Word because that's the only way they can. Lord, we thank You for those who have had the, the, uh, the drive and tenacity to continue week after week coming to Bible study to hear Your Word, Lord, and, and to study Your Word and to grow deeper in the knowledge of You. Even in the Old Testament, Father, where, where some things can be confusing and some things seem to be just story after story, Lord, but we, we know that Your character is shown through these uh, passages and, and we can grow to know You better by knowing more about your character, Father. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the truths that are found in your word, Lord. Return us all home safely uh, tonight and bring us together uh, Sunday to learn more about you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.